Welcome to the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church. We hope our broadcast will bless you. James 5, 7 through 8, and it reads, Therefore, be patient, brethren, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it, until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Amen. Good morning to everyone. Happy Sabbath. We're, Pat and I are glad to be back here visiting our church family in Michigan. And uh, we have to go home tomorrow. We've been gone counting our trip first to Tennessee and then to here. We've been gone 18 days. And so it's time to go home and probably mow the lawn. Before I start the sermon, I want to commend you on a couple of things. First of all, the uh, program last night was uh, superb. I enjoyed it very much, and it's a blessing for a church this size and with Mount Pleasant as well to be able to put together that many people that know how to sing and do a good job. And the second thing I want to share is about your school. Uh, The church that we attend, the Adventist Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas, has about 250 members. We have a school about the size of your school here in Midland. I think there's 11 or 12 students, something like that. And so for a church this size to be able to have a school and to operate it, I, that, I just commend you on that. I'm a big supporter of church schools. As all of you know, Pat just said, she's been a teacher 33 years. All those years were in Seventh-day Adventist schools. And uh, she has three siblings, all of which are teachers. And her two brother siblings are married to teachers. So there's a lot of Adventist teachers in our family. Somehow they got stuck with one pastor as well. And so keep up the the good work with the school and the music as well. And so before we open the word, though, I do want to pray with you again. Let's bow our heads. Loving Father, uh, Thank you for the privilege to be here in your holy sanctuary on the Sabbath day. And I pray that the uh, things that I've prepared for today will be a blessing to all that uh, listen. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been homesick? Anybody ever been homesick? I have to tell you, I was a bit of a country bumpkin. And uh, listening to my accent, you may think that's still the case. Uh, Although, and Pat mentioned when she was talking about the Little Vistas program, we were living in Maryland for six years. And uh, when we first moved there, the, because of our accents, the people would say, you're not from around here, are you? And after those six years, we moved back to, to uh, Arkansas to pastor in northwest Arkansas. And the people there in Arkansas would say, you're not from around here, are you? So we felt like people with no, no identity. Um, until up until the point where my wife and I got married and I was 20 and she was 18 when we got married. So we were quite young. I had never been to another state other than my home state of Arkansas and Texas. And so I was pretty confined in my travels. Now, uh, Pat and I are celebrating in June. We will celebrate 50 years of marriage. And so now you automatically know how old we are. And uh, we've been to every state except for Oregon and Alaska, and we hope to put those in the, in the list of having visited someday. So I've been homesick. My heart, and my heart goes out to those that are either separated uh, from family by death 
and makes them all the more look forward to the coming of the Lord or just by circumstance, whether they're in the military or some other uh, job takes them away from their family. My mom and dad used to tell the story, and my dad especially would tell this story. Uh, he, he served in World War II. He was in the Navy. And when he was called to the Navy, my mother was six months pregnant with my older brother. He was gone two years. No phone, no email, no texting, no Facebook, no none of that. And he would get letters. She would write every day, but he was on ships, and those would come just occasionally. He said his biggest bundle of letters was 36 letters, and he would read them in order according to the postmark. So my mom was six months pregnant with my brother. When my dad returned home, my brother was walking. And so you can just imagine the homesickness that he experienced and my mom experienced that anxiety of having her husband away as well. And so Pat and I, when we got married, we were married for about six months, and then we moved down to Texas for me to attend college at Southwestern Adventist University for me to study to be a pastor. We were there four years, and that was okay because that's like a five- or six-hour drive from our home in Arkansas. But after that, I went to the seminary. Now, all of you know, if you know much about Michigan, and as I'm looking over the congregation, you all know a lot about Michigan, unless you're from Arizona. So we moved to Berrien Springs, and that is 750 miles away. And I was pretty much a mama's boy to start with, and so to be so far away is like, man, I'm homesick for the taste of the water in Arkansas and for the hills and the mountains in Arkansas. We love Michigan too, but just not as much as Arkansas. (laughs) Our son Nathan was born in Michigan. They're in Berrien Springs. And so we only got to go home twice a year, partly because of my study schedule and partly because of finances. And so we'd go home in the summer and for a week, and we'd go home at Christmas for a week. And as we were going, we had the miles kind of marked along. And this is before the days of GPS and all that sort of thing. And uh, so we had a map, you know, like a road atlas that's showing you how to go. But we got to where we had it memorized. And so as we got closer and closer and closer, the the anticipation of being almost home, it was just like wonderful. And so when we crossed the state line into Arkansas, and I have to say we still do this some 45 years later, we lay on the horn when we're crossing into when it says, welcome to Arkansas. So let me just stop the sermon for a second. How many of you have ever been to Arkansas for any reason whatsoever, even traveling through there? Just like four hands. You folks need to get a life and come to Arkansas sometime. And comes not eastern Arkansas. Eastern Arkansas is like uh, it's like Illinois. It's flat. But western Arkansas has mountains and rivers and lakes and all such as that. So we would calculate the distance and read the map and count the hours and the minutes. And we were just, we knew when we got to the Arkansas state line, we were almost home. So now 45, about 45 years have gone by from those early homesick days. But um, I'm still homesick, just not for Arkansas. 
I'm homesick for another place. Any of you have any idea where I'm homesick for, where I would like to go? I hope it's the same place that you want to go. It's not my place of birth. It's not my home state. But I have been promised that I can go because I was adopted into the family of those that live there. You know what I'm talking about? How many want to go? There. So, Revelation 21, verses 1 and 2 give us a really strong clue. Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no more sea. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Jesus is coming soon. And if you read in Revelation 22, starting in verse 1 down through verse 5, I'm not going to read it for you, but it describes what heaven is going to be like, the river of life and the tree of life and getting to sit at the feet of Jesus for an eternity. No more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, no more separation. And the scripture says there will be no more sea. And seas describe a time of separation where it's separating God's people. There will be no more sea, no more separation. I really look forward to that. Jesus is coming soon. I want to be ready. How about you? I know that you do. One of my favorite authors, Ellen White, if you want to jot this uh, reference down, if you want to read it later or refer to it later, it comes from Testimonies to the Church, Volume 8, page 252. She makes this comment. She says, as I hear of the terrible calamities from week to week that are taking place, I ask myself, what do these things mean? The most awful disasters are following one in quick succession, one another in quick succession. How frequently we hear of earthquakes and tornadoes, of destruction by fire and flood with great loss of life and property. Apparently, these calamities are only outbreaks of seemingly disorganized, unregulated forces. But in them, God's purpose may be read. They are one of the means by which he seeks to arouse men and women to a sense of their danger. So a week ago yesterday, a catastrophic tornado went through downtown Little Rock, Arkansas. I don't know if any of you heard that in the news. A number of people and other parts of the state as well, a number of people were killed and just massive damage. And a lot of that damage is like a half a mile from where my wife taught for 12 years. There in Little, We lived in the Little Rock area. Uh, the week before that, I understand in Mississippi, tornadoes went through and was the number 23. I think there were 23 people that were killed in the state of Mississippi. And you just hear these kinds of things and you go, oh, it's just because you live in the South. Although, was there a tornado warning here in Michigan this week? I think there was. Made me feel right at home. So here's the point that I think Ellen White's trying to make. The coming of Christ is nearer than when we first believed. Do you believe that? I really do. The great controversy is almost over. And if you just review some of the news that has happened, just say since the beginning of February across the nation, it's just terrible things, not just with those things out of nature, tornadoes and earthquakes around the world, those kinds of things. But I'll give you a couple of examples in the Grammys that happened early in the month of February. 
The theme was sort of a devil performance. There was this guy named Sam Smith with Kim Petraeus, and they did a song called Unholy and dressed in uh, devil costumes and fire coming out from behind them and little devil angels dancing around. This is on, on TV. The Church of England recently passed a gender-neutral God policy to where they'll no longer use male pronouns. For example, when we say the Lord's Prayer, our Father, which art in heaven, they've done away with that. They won't say that anymore. It's got to be gender neutral. So what's happening What's happening in our world? I'll tell you what I believe. I think God is about to wrap things up and come for his people. Now, all of you would know the name Billy Graham, even though he wasn't a Seventh-day Adventist. He was a man of God and just Thousands and thousands, I believe, came to the Lord. Probably hundreds of thousands came to the Lord because of his ministry. And um, I always thought for years that he had made the comment that if God doesn't come, if the Lord doesn't come pretty soon, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Have you ever heard that, heard that before? Um, he didn't actually say that. His wife, Ruth Graham, did actually say that. And the context of that was that he was writing a book about end time events and the coming of the Lord, and he was having her read one of the chapters. And they were in their home, in his study in their home, and as she just finished reading it, she made the comment to her husband, if the Lord doesn't come pretty soon, he'll have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, I don't know about that. But when you look at Matthew 24, verse 33, so I'll give you a moment, make your way over to Matthew chapter 24, the whole uh, chapter of Matthew 24 is talking about the coming of the Lord. So that's easy to remember if you ever want to read a chapter that's talking about the coming of the Lord. Matthew 24 is the chapter, one of several, but it's probably the one that does the most uh, talking about it. And Matthew 24, verse 33, look at what it says. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. The judgments of God, they're in the land. They, they speak in solemn warning. Matthew 24, 44, it says, Be ye also ready for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man comes. There will be multitudes that have not sought salvation, making the bitter lamentation. The harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. I don't want to be in that group, and I know you don't as well. I want to keep my eyes on the fact that Jesus is about to come. Their time has been consumed with worldly pursuits, like many parents that have not taught their children about God, and later they discover their children don't love God. They make multiple bad choices, and the fruit is bitter. So I believe the, I believe the Scripture is crystal clear. We do not have time to be fooling around with our personal salvation. Jesus is coming again, and I can hardly wait. Do you need more evidence? Who, need, who needs more evidence? I don't, I don't need more evidence. It seems clear to me this world is full of spiritual darkness. The pain and the suffering and the political turmoil are coming to a frenzied climax. And I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about just things that are happening in the world. Was it week before last? We were visiting our uh, younger son and his family in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and the news came out of Nashville where a person, a tra transgender person, came into a Presbyterian school and killed 
was it three students and three adults? I forget the mix. I think that's what, six people. One of them was the pastor's daughter. Just horrible, horrible things happening in the world. Time is short. We need to tell somebody Jesus is about to come. You know, Adventists are known worldwide for doing good in the world. I was sitting in a Sabbath school lesson, and it was very interesting because it's, the Sabbath school lesson is basically talking about events leading up to the coming of the Lord as well. And so I, I know you guys all probably know the answer to this, but here's a quiz for you. So Adventists are known worldwide for doing good. I'm going to give you some some. Uh, letters that are well known to us and see if you know what they stand for. So ADRA, first of all, ADRA, did you know ADRA only works outside of the United States? Inside the United States, it's called Community Services, Adventist Community Services. So who can tell me what does ADRA stand for? Adventist Development Relief Agency. How about AWR? Also outside the United States. Adventist World Radio. How about AFM? Adventist Frontier Missions. Also outside the United States. So the, the church is doing a worldwide work. And for that, I want to say amen. But like we have to do the work right here where we're at as well, don't we? Carl George, he's a uh, Baptist minister some years ago. He was a church growth consultant for Fuller Institute, and he wrote a book called Empty Pews, Empty Streets. And he wrote about Seventh-day Adventists in this book, and I want to do just a short, a little quote from his book. He looks at reasons why Seventh-day Adventists aren't worshiping in heaven yet. And so I find it interesting that a Baptist minister would write about why Adventists aren't in heaven yet. So writing about our belief in the second coming, he says this, and I'm quoting, Adventists are people who do good in the world because you are aware of another world. Jesus may come at any moment. The only thing holding him back is the Father's desire to grant mercy to a lost world that is condemned. Do you agree with him so far? I do too. He died on the cross to make the benefits of salvation available to all mankind. Until Jesus returns, we have the freedom with the help of all the science and all the dedication and all the gifts of the people of God, we have the freedom to carry the everlasting gospel to the ends of the world until God says, time's up. That's a marvelous concept, he says. He continues, your denomination, talking about Seventh-day Adventist, has been raised up as a special witness to these things. It's easy for us to lose sight of the basis for our hope. There's a freshening, quickening quality to every hour of every day when we realize that the next thing we are listening for is not the screeching of brakes to crush us out of life. It's not the ominous words from the doctor, sit down, please. I need to talk with you about your cytology exam. We're listening for the trumpet of the angels. That is a great hope because it enables you to live on the edge of e eternity. It enables you to say, the choices I'm making today are the choices I'd make if I face Jesus tonight. By the grace of God, I will do only those things which I can be interrupted doing and be proud. It leads to a life of holiness. It leads to a life of dedication. It leads to a life of sacrifice. If you can do this, you will have a life that transcends ordinariness. And so 
That's the end of the part that I wanted to share of what he had written. So how how can we be ready for Jesus to come? One thing I know for sure, I don't, I don't want to be left out when Jesus comes. Do you? Nobody wants to be left out. We want to be inside the fold. So to recognize the approach of the day of the Lord is expected of all believers. And we're warned we do not know the day or the hour. So the good effect of the expectation is illustrated by the aged gentleman I like the way it says that rather than saying the old guy, the, the aged gentleman who, when asked as to what value his belief in Christ's coming had on his life, he said, I'm sitting with my feet untangled. You like that? Ready, ready to go. So there's three easy steps that we can take, and these will be familiar to all of you, but I'll review them anyway. Three easy steps to make sure we're right with God. And the first one is simply accept Jesus as your Savior. John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever, and I could put my name there, you can put your name there, whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So that's step one, just accept Jesus. The the second step is equally simple, and it's just surrender yourself. Ask forgiveness of your sins. One of my favorite scriptures that I've committed to memory years ago, and maybe you have also, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's called justification. It's the work of a moment. And the good news is Jesus accepts all kinds of sinners, the drunkard, the murderer, the adulterer, the thief, the cheat, the liar, the gossip, the proud, the selfish. This means he accepts me. It means he accepts you. He won't leave us out. When we surrender self, we we have come to the place in our lives where we confess our sins. He stands ready to forgive. And the surrendered life is what's necessary. And then step three is just repent and follow. So our love for Jesus um, should be such that if he says it, I'll do it. And I've tried to have that as my motto of life. Lord, if you want me to do it, show me, show me your will, Lord. Show me your way and give me the willing heart to walk in your way. Like the song says, God said it, I believe it, and that settles it for me. So follow him. And that's the day by day You get up every morning when you put your feet on the floor, you say, Lord, for today, I choose to follow you. It's called sanctification, but the simple word is just living day by day for Jesus. Today, Lord, I'm giving my life afresh to you. It's a work that continues our entire lives. Follow him today, tomorrow, and every day. And this is where we often have our problems. We make excuses. We put him off. We ignore the Holy Spirit wooing us. And our scripture reading from this morning came from the book of James. I'm going to go back over there and reread that for you if you want to follow or you can just listen. James 5, verses 7 and 8. Just a side note, probably all of you have heard the name Martin Luther during the Protestant Reformation times. He was really into uh, salvation by faith, Romans and Galatians, and, you know, the just shall live by faith, and I agree with all that. He believed that the book of James should not even be in the Bible. He called it a book of straw 
because James talks about all the things that we're supposed to do. But uh, I'm glad that the Lord included it. And so James 5, verse 7 and 8, Therefore be patient, brethren. I hear the Lord talking to me right now about that being patient. How many of you have a problem with being patient? I'll just put my hand up like this high. I might have to put it up like this high. Be patient. Therefore, brethren, until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently until it receives the early and latter rain. You also be patient. Establish your hearts for what? The coming of the Lord is at hand. A little while and he shall come. The hour draws on apace. The blessed hour, the glorious morn, when we shall see his face. How light our trials then will seem. How short our pilgrim way. Our life on earth, a fitful dream dispelled by dawning day. Are, are you ready for Jesus? I hope that you can all say yes. And I'm growing. I'm growing every day, but I want to be ready when Jesus comes. He says, I stand at the door, knock, open the door, let him come into your heart. There's a song that says, are you ready for Jesus to come? Are you faithful in all that you do? Have you fought the good fight? Have you stood for the right? Have others seen Jesus in you? Are you ready to stand in your place? Are you ready to look in his face? Can you look up and say, this is my Lord? Are you ready for Jesus to come? Have you let earthly pleasures overshadow his will in your life? I hope you could say no to that. Or maybe life for you is going too fast. You just want to say, stop the world. I need to get off. Well, I told you about our trips from Michigan to Arkansas. The anticipation of arrival grew stronger as each day each mile passed away, passed by, and when we reached Arkansas, we blew on our horn. And I told you, I, we still do that after all these years. So tomorrow, we'll do that. Probably somewhere about uh, 4 or 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and we're planning to leave at 4 in the morning. So it's, it's 16 hours of driving. Come visit us if you're ever in Hot Springs. Yeah, give us a ring. So you leave from here, and you go down 75, and when you get to Flint, you get on 69, and you stay on 69 all the way through Fort Wayne, Indiana, into Indianapolis, and then somewhere along in there, you get on 70, going west, and when you get to Effingham, Illinois, you turn south, on 57 and you go for a long way until you get into Missouri and then you turn on 55 and go for a couple of hours and you get down to Interstate 40 at Memphis and then you're only three hours away. So are any of you truck drivers? You've probably done those routes before. So after all these years we know we're almost home. It's a celebration and uh you know, spiritually speaking, this life's journey is almost complete. It really is. Don't let anyone fool you into thinking otherwise. We are, when it comes to the Lord's coming, we are almost home. Sound the horn. When Jesus comes, he's, Scripture says, His angels will sound the horn. It's not a car horn, but it's trumpets. And they're blowing loud. Thousands of trumpets announcing His arrival just like our song says that we're going to sing here in a moment. Lift up the trumpet and loud let it ring. 
Jesus is coming again. I hope that each of you will find yourself ready. I want to be ready, be found faithful, and we can gather down by the river and have a big old potluck or something there when the Lord comes. Just remain faithful and uh, be ready for the angels to sound the horn because He's coming soon. You have been listening to the broadcast from the Midland Seventh-day Adventist Church at 2420 East Ashman in Midland, Michigan. If you are in the area, we cordially invite you to visit our church Saturday mornings. If you are a distance away, we encourage you to continue visiting our website and weekly podcast at midlandsda.org.